This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm just disappointed. And I'm the Machine. You should have sang that, Dave, or sung that. A podcast <laughs> where a sentient machine A podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the film it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're gonna to be watching the film Yes, Giorgio. One name means superstar in every language. Pavarotti. Now, Luciano Pavarotti in his motion picture debut. Yes, Giorgio. People like Giorgio Fini, world-class opera singers, of which there's barely a handful. No, less. You told me he was from Italy. You failed to mention he was from the Middle Ages. Giorgio! Uh, film is a strong word. Yeah. Film is a strong word, probably. Not that we've seen it. Not that right, we have right. seen this movie yet. Although I am pretty sure that Dave and I are maybe the only two people who have watched this movie in the last 40 years. But we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. Of course, we have to give a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue the show since the machine doesn't, you know, help us pay for these movies. Jerk. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. Now, before we start talking about this week's film. We have some uh, plot progression we need to get to here, Dave. Uh, all right. So can you just help me move this machine over here? Just, just I didn't know it was so here. small. Yeah, in the picture, it looks really big. Okay, yeah. Does it have casters? Oh. Is it on casters? I think so. This is, mm -hmm. uh, this is our Pac-Man machine. If you recall from last week, we are in the throes of starting our own arcade to get some of that oh, right, moolah, right. that money. Yeah, yeah. Because people will come in and give us their quarters. Yeah. Do you know how much money Pac-Man made in 1982? No, I don't. Six billion dollars. And I'm not even in joking. I looked this up. In 1982, Pac-Man made six. I don't know if that was the whole industry, but it said like Pac-Man and arcades made six billion dollars. Oh, okay. Still, that's, uh, that's a lot of money in 1982. That's a lot of money. What else was there to do? We already watched <laughs> Summer of 42 and they just sat there fucking flicking elastic bands in their mouth. And then they're like, you can come to this room, give us some quarters, and be like irradiated with fucking beautiful yeah. eight pixel. Go you know? blind. Give us all yeah. your quarters. I mean, the malls were kind of a newish thing here. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. By the late 70s into the 80s yeah. and stuff like that. So you could just jump on your bike, go to the mall, waste $5 in quarters, and do some, you know, that was uh, an afternoon. Do some productive loitering, right? I mean, there's nothing that says American culture more. Than hanging out. I like to hang both of you out a window. Uh, were you good at Pac-Man? Uh, not like I didn't compete. <laughs> well, no, I could play. I didn't die right Man, away. If you, if you had revealed that to me, it's like I was a professional Pac-Man player. <laughs> I was, you know what I they was? They called me uh, D-Pac back in the day. I was uh, okay at Tetris mm -hmm. uh, on the Game Boy, but again, when you watch Next Level, right, the pros, it's pretty frightening what the human mind is capable of doing did you know talking about tetris and competitive tetris yeah we've almost reached the i don't know what you said the, the the maximum of human potential because for i was just reading this article about this weirdly enough for years and years there was like this maximum score that you could like right. this was like a great score that you could get right just using right. traditional controllers with these modded controllers you can get and by holding it in a different position like you're not holding it with your two hands they hold it in like one hand and in then a use t-rex position yeah, it's where just, your hands are all <laughs> it was like six or seven times the highest score that's ever been completed wow. sort of thing so if you watch these people it's just like <laughs> it's a bit bonkers how fast yeah. they are like moving and like doing things i'm like i don't i don't know what's happening <laughs> and yet you're still doing this so well I watched this, I think it was on Discovery or one of those science channels about chess masters and how mm. they did a, not an MRI, what's the, cat? no, MRI scan mm. of what parts of the brains they use. They don't use logic 
parts. They don't calculate moves. They use uh, image-forming parts of their brain. And I suspect the Tetris Master is the same thing. We, I, am reactive. So when I see uh, an L mm -hmm. coming down, my brain's like, where's the L fit? What's the best thing? And then it slows you down. Top-level people in any exercise, I think they use different parts of their brain. Well, I think it has to be, and I know it's just not how my brain functions. Because I'm kind of like you. I'm always reacting to what has now been put in front of me. Yeah. My friends and other people that are way better at either chess or even Tetris will, will say, because it shows you this is the that's next coming. piece that's coming up. They're yeah. actually strategizing where to put things. Yeah. And I can't do that. I just literally cannot think that fast. Did you hear this, Dave? Uh, did you know this? Did you hear about this? Do my Jay Leno impression here. Well, I mean, you haven't told me about it, so I don't know what I'm hearing about. China changed the ending to Fight Club. Oh, no. Did you read about this? No. So Fight Club Very has recently? now been allowed okay. to be, sh yeah, like this week oh, as we're okay, recording okay. this. Yeah. Fight Club is being allowed to be shown in Chinese theaters for the very first time. Wow. They're because of what we might call propaganda. Ooh, be careful. We'll get There's canceled. certain things that cannot be shown in Chinese cinemas. Uh, one of the big ones is police losing. Mm. <laughs> it's it's mm. straight up. You just can't do it. You, we've talked about Fight Club, of course, on this podcast before, and how it's kind of great. Yeah, been holds up. It's been kind of co-opted, and you know, not uh, so sometimes it's been interpreted, in my opinion, the incorrect way. But regardless mm. of that, mm. you may remember we get to the end there. It's revealed who Tyler Durden actually is. What? <laughs> and the bombs start going off, and the things are crumbling down behind him. That sort of thing. Yeah. Anyways, none of that actually happens in the Chinese <laughs> version. Good. We kind of get to that final confrontation, and then and we the cut to black. Uh -huh. Yeah, we cut to black, and this message comes up oh, on screen. Awesome. Through the clue provided by Tyler, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan and arrested Amazing. all criminals, successfully Amazing. preventing the bomb from exploding. After the trial, Tyler was sent to a lunatic asylum receiving psychological treatment. He was discharged from the hospital in 2012. Yeah, he was taxed, uh, as all celebrities will be, for avoiding, and you will yeah. never see them again on social media. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, good, good. <laughs> I just <laughs> love this. I was like, man, I don't like the ending of this. It's like, this is what happens. Man, cut to black. I'm just, I'm trying to imagine, I mean, we could never sit in the seat of someone growing up in the communist, well, not even communist, mm. but in the Chinese uh, political environment. But I just, I don't know, as a movie person, anytime something fades to black and text comes up, I'm always disappointed. I'm just like, there's yeah. no way that's right. There's, it's just so cheap. Everything was fine after this. Totally, totally cool. Imagine being a teenager and watching that movie and then moving to the US and someone's yeah, like, and like, have you actually wait, watched this? more of it? Like, what the fuck? This, this is oh, why the police America's did everything dead. right. Yeah. <laughs> Poochie died on the way back to his home planet. Talking about this film, this is from a director that we've actually talked about before, mm -hmm. starring mm -hmm. one of the biggest just personalities of all mm -hmm. time. So let's talk about director Franklin J. Schaffner, who directed Nicholas and Alexandra. That's the mm -hmm. last time we talked about him. He won an Oscar for directing Patton. And mm -hmm. he was also the director of the first Planet of the Apes movie. Yep. And since uh, what I call affectionately Nick and Alex, after Nick and Alex, he's done Papillon and the boys from Brazil. So this movie, Dave, obviously, it can't be like an assault <sighs> to cinema. Careful. Right? Careful. He's been, he's been just, involved in some good stuff. Well, uh, from watching Nick and Alex, as you like to call it, he should have retired after Patton. Like, I'm out. Well, the thing about it is like we, we and we talked about this in our Nicholas and Alexandra episode. I find that I find that movie fairly tedious, like for the first hour and a half of its three hour runtime. <laughs> and then for the last, oh no, the last 30 minutes. <laughs> no, are okay, that's the so, last bit yeah. is pretty good. I actually think I think that's where the bulk of the movie is actually really well done. Yeah. But it's I personally think well directed, like it's lavish. It's like big in scope. It's yeah, able to fine. capture interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's framed interestingly. Uh, Rasputin mm -hmm. is awesome in that movie, so it's not like it's done by. It's not a dud. A, a dud, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not a dud. It's just I don't know what's between a dud and an okay film. It's like a, a mud? maybe this movie, Dave. We'll see. <laughs> no, this is much worse. Anyway, so let's keep going. Oh, Pavarotti, how much? How much uh, history do you have with Pavarotti? 
Yeah, I was uh, really into the three tenors. I I love opera, to be honest with you. Name five operas, Dave. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. I don't know. Uh, I watched Faust in Toronto. Mm. I watched, I uh, you know, Carmen's okay. My parents love Carmen, but mm. I think they play too much on a fucking DVD player. So I, I just, uh, I'm kind of over it. I just know the music from Carmen. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's like all opera. It's so over the top. You can't put it in a film for a reason. And uh, it's highly lauded uh, for being classical theater, right? But I mm-hmm. actually think, you know, musical theater should get up there. But when you watch the top opera singers, I mean, they're, they can do things with their voice box that... I, I do want are, to make this distinction because I am yeah. the resident, like, musical yeah, theater fan on this show i'm definitely i don't have like the deepest knowledge of the entire history of musical theater some of the main differences that i would say between opera and musical theater and trust me there is so many debates <laughs> about sure, actual terminology yeah. like is this an opera or is this a musical but regardless or operetta right right yeah and that's another thing but mostly opera traditionally sung all the way through so there's no spoken bits it is just sung everything that they're doing like i'm walking over to the table i'm doing this thing uh of course in italian well, usually yeah they don't <laughs> like, talk they don't sing about walking over to a table but no yeah, but they don't talk. i just want to say like they're, they they're literally telling you what they are doing in the lyrics yeah, yeah. that they're doing yeah. whereas yeah. oftentimes musical theater is a lot more poetic and like internal feelings and 50, stuff like that's what yeah. they're doing yeah uh yeah. and as well musical theater occasionally doesn't have to but traditionally has like dance choreography that sort of thing where opera you are standing there and you are singing just singing beautiful costumes yeah and a lot of money in costumes yeah. the other big difference is that i find that in opera of course you are looking at the singer first actor second because it's the yes. singing that it makes the more the bigger impression whereas musical theater oftentimes you're going with acting first singing second you can sometimes have a beautiful combination so i don't of like, like lin-manuel miranda great. well sure but even like I mean, you're anti-Lin-Manuel, I know, but even if you look at, like, uh, Ethel Merman, Carol Channing, like, all these old, even Robert Preston from The Music Man, are they the best singers of the world? No. Who wasn't but, uh, in Music Man when they uh, were shooting The Apartment? But anyways, keep going. Who was, he was not in The Apartment, or he was not in that show. I'm absorbing uh, too much nerdy information hanging yeah. out with you this much. I don't want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to know that. The The, the big thing being is, like, yeah, you don't have to be the best singer in the world to be actually a really great mm. musical theater star. Because yeah, yeah, it's all about yeah. inflection and what you bring to that role. Character, yeah. Right. And most of the time, too, I mean, this is, again, getting super nerdy. doesn't have to be, but predominantly, again, a musical theater song, you are going from uh, one emotional state to another emotional state by the end of the song. Like, mm. there usually is some sort of progression that's happening through that where you're making a decision or you're actually gone to a different location. Like, that is what the song is there to do. Opera, not necessarily. Sometimes it's like, I'm sad. I'm going to sing about being sad for the next three minutes. And that's what or it's there for. Or six or ten. Yeah. Yeah. Two different art forms. I'm not saying which one is better or worse. I prefer musical theater over opera, but that's just a, a me well, thing. That's why I like movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they're different. I, I liked opera because um, I like singing. I love singing. Mm-hmm. You know, I love in musical theater. I love when they sing. And I agree with you as a movie person, having the whole package is really important if I'm sitting in a theater. So, you know, the two, uh, the two operas I've been in person... You know, and they have surtitles, like, I don't know if you've been, yeah, but... Yeah, the subtitles. Yeah, yeah so yeah. we're watching, um, you know, I'm trying to read it and I realize I shouldn't because it doesn't matter because it doesn't make sense anyways. And they have uh, a classical training in voice. So like you said, it's not about inflection or character. It's just, they just throw it at you in your face. They're showing how, like their range and their power and, and they are emotional, but uh, it's not the same sort of dramatic uh, yeah. what, fluctuations. I don't know how to explain it. That, that is um, the other thing too, like Broadway performers are expected to do eight performances a week singing that yeah. score. An opera singer cannot physically do that. They are no. singing way too loudly and their voice is being strained so much you literally cannot have them perform eight times a week. <laughs> they yeah, might perform no. three times a week, but that's about I it. I don't even know if it's that much. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. it's big, right? It's yeah. big. But it's like the purists who 
you know, once you get into classical music and it's like, well, there's no other music. Well, that's bullshit, right? I love classical music as much as anybody. My mom was a classical musician. I Apparently, I'm listening to fucking Blackpink and what's that other K-pop? <laughs> BTS because I'm on yeah, family yeah. pop. Music's music. Theater's theater. When people sing and they emote, we should feel stuff. I watched Niagara for the first time last night with Helen. That's a fucking amazing movie. But I, I want to be in it. Marilyn Monroe, film noir. Oh, it's good. It's I've being never taken even off. heard of this movie, Niagara. Like Niagara Falls. Yes. Okay. It's good. Marilyn Monroe is a femme fatale. Oh, Kyle. That was the role she should have been playing her whole career. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's going away. Two days, Criterion, so I watched it. Fuck you, Criterion. I mean, you, okay, Dave, this, <laughs> you always make it sound like they're going to burn the negative. <laughs> when they're taking off Criterion. There's no way to watch this movie. We'll never hey, be able are, to see it ever again. Can you guarantee it's coming back until I'm like no. 60? We don't know. We don't know. I got to watch them. I'm in the middle of On the Waterfront because, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I'm a parent and I got interrupted yesterday, but... I, I, we wanted to talk about opera anyway, so that was a good segue. I'm the same with you. Three tenors, I'm of the age of like, that's really oh, how I was introduced yeah. to Pavarotti. Domingo For some reason, I feel like, and maybe this is just a false memory, that the CBC play a lot of the three yes. tenors. Yes. Uh, so that's just how I remember so big, seeing man. them all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if just mm. CBC, but yeah, DVDs, they're on TV all the time. There's yeah. such a big I also thing. always, unfortunately, forget the third person because it yeah. was it's Pavarotti, Placido Domingo, Placido Domingo and then I and, don't know who the, the other third guy. person is. Yeah. The other other guy the other guy um <laughs> uh, but Pavarotti was always the best one right i mean yeah. he they're all great but there's just something about Pavarotti that i don't know he just walks out and when he attacks you just you can't you know if, if he wants you to cry if he wants you to laugh he has so much control the tone he was my favorite well, this is a, such a weird way i got into this performance i agree with you Pavarotti just has this huge larger than life persona one of his all-time greatest well-known renditions is from the opera Turandot and his rendition of Nessendorma. Do mm. you remember a, a recent-ish film, like from like the last seven years, that used that as a central plot point? No. It's Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Dave. What? And so <laughs> there is a huge scene that takes place at an opera house while Nessendorma oh, is being sung. Right. And they're shooting back and forth. And I, when I was in theaters... When I was in theaters in the IMAX watching that movie, I was like, this is fucking amazing. Like, I was just like, <laughs> as I went home, of course, I was like, I need to know what this music is. And this is how I is discovered, like, Turn Dot. Is the first Rebecca Ferguson one? Yeah. I okay. can't remember now. Of course, the Pavarotti version is the one that most people love the most. And I was like, it was like on rotation for me, like, for the next, like, three weeks, just listening to that over and over and over and over and over again. But can I, can I just side, sidebar again? Why was yeah. Anna Darmus not the main girl? in the latest Bond movie. She was a fucking incredible in that film. Well, and, I mean, uh, it's like, we can't get into this conversation, Dave, because I have so much <laughs> stuff to say about that. They were hamstrung because they think they picked the wrong woman to focus on in the previous movie. That's yes. step one. Well, I didn't even watch Step, step two, Anna de Armas is only in that movie anyways because Daniel Craig fought for her to show up in that movie. She's amazing. Yeah. she Because he, he, he had just worked with her in Knives Out and he says, you need yeah. to be in the next Bond movie. And they made that part for her. She shows up and knocks out of the park in the five yeah. minutes she's in that movie. And it's like, why didn't we focus on this person? Anyways, that's a great acting she's game. gorgeous and then the ninjaness was amazing mm -hmm. and they did a, such a great that was the only writing part that I actually enjoyed her pretending to be a newbie and then having to kill a bunch she should be the next bond which will never happen because he's dead it won't happen spoiler won't happen. alert <laughs> any um relationship with this movie like do you have any history with no. yes giorgio <laughs> no and as we'll see when we quote unquote watch it there's a reason for that Oh, I'm sure there, there is a reason for this. burn the negatives of this piece of shit. Yeah. The only reason I know anything about this movie before going in and watching it was that I recall this being on the Siskel and Ebert list of worst movies of 1982. <laughs> that, uh, uh, of course, I was not alive in 1982, so I was not right. watching it at the time. But I go down YouTube rabbit holes all the time watching mm -hmm. old Siskel and Ebert reviews. And I love it when they both agree. I'm like, yeah, this is a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about why this sucks. So that's that's really, that's it. That's the only reason I know about this movie in the first place. Quality journalism. Let's see if we disagree, Dave. Maybe we're going to be the ones who <laughs> uncover that this is actually a diamond in the rough, that this is something no. that we should champion. That's like, this is a lost movie. This is, this is the Niagara of 1982 that more people no. should know about. People should know about Niagara because uh, I think Marilyn Monroe got I mean, we all know that she got uh, typecast and kind of thrown away because she was too beautiful. And then killed by the Kennedys. 
when you watch this film, she's so good in it. Let's not delay anymore. Let's go thank some sponsors, and then when we return, we'll be talking about Yes, Giorgio. It's shit. <laughs> this movie is shit. All right, who am I? That's uh, Les Mis. Yeah, that's a. I love Les Mis. <sighs> that's because you're basic. Um, okay. Wow. Wow. I remember when I first read the unabridged version of that book. <laughs> mm. I was oh like, my gosh. A, it's better than the musical, but B, fuck, it's long. Because Hugo had to give you the literary history of the French Revolution at the same time. Was it Hunchback? I think the opening chapter is talking about like the shingles of the tower. I don't know. I was... yeah. Well, Kyle Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. You know, this week, Dave, I get to talk to you about Park Power. I guess we we don't have to worry about this right now, but I still get emails about my uh, power usage at my condo um, oh. uh, that I haven't been able to see for the past two years. Um, <laughs> I, did your did your bill go up at all in January for no for power and, and heating? I'm I'm with a different provider, <laughs> mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we're not talking about my power. I want to talk about my power because right. it tripled in price and it fucking oh, sucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So maybe I should call up Park Power and uh, get some help here because that was yes. a pretty big sticker shock when I opened my bill and was like, that isn't usually how much it is. I've been hearing that. With N- Is it NMAX you're with? Nope. I'm with someone else. Oh, <laughs> interesting. We, yeah. I'm with somebody else too and we're doing fine. No comment. I also think there's something going on with my furnace. So there, there could be multiple issues that are So this is, this. You, have a, you have a rental property or the place you have now is a condo? Yes. Oh. That's where I, I live. I thought it was... Uh, I thought it was just like a townhouse or something. We don't need to talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> it's oh, it's wow. weird. Oh, it's just a weird complex. thing. Complex freehold. All right. Okay. Yeah, it's it's technically a condo, but it's really a fourplex. Like it's it's weird. Yeah, Anyways, freehold. so Dave, yeah. did you know that winter is coming and energy usage for all Albertans will be increasing? Now is a great time for listeners to look at their utility bills and ensure that they are on the best plan. Albertans have a choice who they pay their utility bills to, and Park Power is happy to provide free, no-obligations comparisons. If you decide to switch providers, it's easy, and you can feel good knowing you are supporting a local business. Let me try doing that, but sound like a human. And you can feel good <laughs> knowing you are supporting a local business. Just put through uh, auto-tune. <laughs> and you're helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. Dave, what do you have for me? I think that we have to make sure that your condominium is well-funded and that you're putting in money into your mm-hmm. fund so that you don't have a loss assessment. I think that's important. Freeholds are an interesting concept. I sometimes wonder if it's worth your time, but we can talk about that off air. It's, it's probably not, yeah. but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our other sponsor is APN. No, it's ATB. Our other sponsor is ATB. What does Correct. ATB stand for? Actually, you bank with them. Alberta Treasury Branch. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, w- I was asked that question a couple weeks ago and I couldn't answer. Let's see. They have several messages. I'm going to talk to you about uh, how ATB is built to help Albertans. Did you know that, Kyle? They built That's it. That's what I've been told. For us. I guess I'm Albertan now. Uh, at ATB, we make banking work for you by offering both expert and practical advice in saving, budgeting, and paying off debt. Right? You got to pronounce the B. Mm-hmm. Bring the B back is what I say. Release the B. <laughs> Release the bee. I used to say salmon and used to piss people off and I thought it was funny. (laughs) And though your financial situation and the economy may change over time, you can be confident that your money is safe and secure with ATB. We have a history of doing what's right for our clients, especially when times are tough, because ATB was built to help Albertans. For more information, visit atb.com. I think who screwed it up was Salman Rushdie, because you actually do pronounce the L in his name, what? but you don't it pronounce Salman it in the fish name. Salman or Salomon? Yeah. No. No, Salman. Salman. Yeah, Salman. Well, we've watched the movie Yes, Giorgio here, Dave. Movie's a strong term, too. Oh, I yeah. certainly have a lot of opinions on this. I am confident, very confident. I texted you on the couch while we were watching it, right. weirdly enough. It's the only way we communicate, other than recording this podcast. As I was midway through this i believe the exact text i sent to you was oh you're gonna hate me for making you watch this and uh, (laughs) i made you you always blame me but it is the machine that is forcing us 
to watch yeah. these films yeah. each and every week. Bullet points. What did you think about Yes, Giorgio? It's just one of the worst things I've ever watched. It is not only uh, dumb and poorly made and poorly acted, it is so offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about the racist uh, scene that is just plopped in the middle of this movie? Well, racist, sexist, it's elitist. It's about everything that we now consider the worst aspects of human nature glorified because this fucker can sing. There is not a single redeeming quality. I mean, I suppose if you are an opera and Pavarotti fanboy or girl, you could say that when he sings, you like it. But by the end, I honestly, I started scrubbing the singing parts because I just needed to finish the fucking movie. Mm. I couldn't give it the three extra minutes. I got exhausted. So I hated it. And we haven't even talked about the uh, racist part where he subjugates a Chinese couple uh, because it's funny the fuck was that let's get to that scene because i actually do want to discuss that which is like oh james hong that's great i I like when james hong shows up in movies but it's like ooh, oh man this is bad this is why there was big trouble in little china after but he's great in in that movie no what i mean is if i went through that i would have turned into a demonic you know overlord trying to destroy the world I hated this movie too i think this movie is pretty awful on all accounts uh not to to reveal too early what my rating is going to be 0.5 the only saving grace is what you just mentioned, is when Pavarotti actually sings. It's like, oh, look at this. This opens it up. It's actually interesting. There's even some interesting visual elements that start to come into mm-hmm. the screen. But the pretty dragon. much everything else is awful. Dumpster fire. Yeah. Like dumpster fire, dumpster fire awful. I think the acting is bad. I think so that bad. the script is... There's no script. Talking about the script, like we can talk about the actual dialogue. Like if you read Roger Ebert's review on this, like he focuses on that predominantly like who made these lines and why did no one on set say like maybe we should try something else because i agree there is some award-winning like awful dialogue in this movie it's like why are they saying this like this is so dumb so not only that but what i think is maybe the most shocking uh from a script level is like i don't understand why you get pavarotti to be in this movie (laughs) like i straight up don't get it the whole thing is hinged on him being a married man in Italy coming to America as an opera singer, the most famous opera singer in the world, uh, Giorgio Fini, getting into his head that he can't sing. So he goes to this woman doctor who psychosomatically makes him makes him be able to sing. She doesn't do anything. She just jabs him in the ass with yeah. saline or a vitamin B. And uh, <laughs> right. also uh, he told her that she can't be a doctor because she's a woman. We start Correct. off. Of course, uh, she does fall in love with him because he's a Which man, I guess. Yeah, because he's but a like, man. But the, like the specter of the fact that he's married with children, like I don't even, like I don't understand why that's even in the movie. Like I don't understand why this can't just be, just on a fundamental plot level, Dave, I just don't understand why this just isn't an opera singer comes over and falls in love. Like it's just a simple, straightforward story and that they complicate it with this thing where I, as a viewer, and potentially there's a little bit of like, modern day 2022 viewing going on in this but i fundamentally cannot be like oh yeah i'm totally on board with this couple trying to make things work well it would be one thing if that the wife character was shown and i I don't trust this movie to have had there be anything but like a shrewish woman but the base level is like okay at least there's a reason why he's now going after and finding a new love but that's not the case he says that he likes his wife these yeah. <laughs> he's fine with staying with her and then it ends up being it's like well we can never be together and it's supposed to be this tragic love story and i'm just like kind of like fuck you at the end of this movie it's like you yes. don't earn this you didn't earn any of this like this no. is so dumb that's how all my relationships go i mean it was the opening thing he says like here's some plane tickets we're gonna go and fuck but uh, don't fall in love with me. And he's just like, what the fuck? Like, she already hates you. And he's like, well, then let me throw you some more money. She's like, okay, yeah, yeah. let's do this thing. Oh, I fell in love with you. Go fuck yourself. Whoever is involved in this uh, should go, mm-hmm. like, literally just go fuck themselves. What's interesting when you bring that up, though, is was this a biopic? It, it was not. We're going to get to that in a moment. This is actually mm-hmm. adapted from another bit of source material. From what I understand, no. Although I would not put it past like this has some maybe resonance with with Pavarotti. I actually don't know much about him. You're gonna have to tell I think me. It's this maybe producer's a bit. wife who just wanted to fuck this dude. But anyways, uh, possibly. Yeah. I, I I just think this is Pavarotti's first and as far as I understand, only film he ever made outside of like filmed opera performances that he's done. But the only movie that he actually starred in 
And if you if you have like essentially like this huge star in the world, I don't really understand why you don't just make this be either one a comedy, right? We, we we're going to make this as he's the straight man, great opera singer, and there's all this goofiness that's happening around him. We lean into his strengths and we bring on some comedy team that can lean into their strengths. Cool, we can do that. Or not that this would be probably commercially viable either. You make an opera, like you make something mm. that it takes place in the opera sure. world, like this does sort of. But we get to see more like the behind the scenes of the opera company, or like even if you st- stuck with like I can't sing. Okay, cool. That's some innate drama that we can work with. This opera singer who can't sing. Instead, we're saddled with this love story that's not really a love story and comedy scenes that are like not funny, and they just go on for so long. And it's like I don't. <laughs> I did the Dave thing, honestly. I was watching this movie, like, I cannot believe there's 50 minutes more of this movie. Like, I just can't comprehend how there's more of this movie that I need to watch. This is a bad movie, Dave. It's really bad. And there's really not much that we're going to be able to talk about. And I kind of hate when we have these types of films where it's just us saying, like, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And, like, different ways. But it's really bad. You pick them. I I think uh, I did nothing of the sort. I am learning my barometer is uh, particularly because we're streaming so much of this stuff. There's no choice; we can't see movies uh, in the theater. If I have to click on the uh, remaining runtime, there's a problem because mm-hmm. I didn't do that when I was watching Niagara or On the Wall. Like any like considered classic movies, any of the films we watch, we're watching Fight Club. We don't pause it and ask like, is there really an hour and a half left? It's more like you get close to the end and you're just like, holy shit, I can't believe two hours have passed. This thing in the first five minutes, you know, like so many of other shitty movies we've watched, you just, you have to look. I'm like, this movie's not even long, but I want it to Mm -hmm. end. Well, I guess it's technically the second scene, but like it starts with him in that church for some reason singing and he's off to the the, um, airport. And he has to stop to help this group of nuns. Like, given that scene, it's like, oh boy, I am in for a long road when this is, I, I know it's supposed to be funny. Like it's structured as a comedy scene and it is not, it's just, no. it is not there. And again, this might be my prejudice against like opera stars. Like again, opera stars are not necessarily really known for like their acting ability, well, they're there for their acting. singing ability, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. I'm Again, different art forms require different things. So I just don't understand why they were trying to force this to him to be something that he's not. I think to your earlier point about, you know, slapstick Indian comedy, if they had left it at the level like the old nun who's like faking him out to get a, you know, personal Mm -hmm. performance, there's a kernel of comedy in there, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of has a little bit of lightness and then they shit on it. So even more than the like the terrible script and the terrible performances, honestly, the thing that shocked me the most once I realized who the director was is I think it's even directed badly. Like I yeah. just like it doesn't look good. Like if you went side by side again with Nicholas and Alexandra or Patton or even the original Planet of the Apes movie and show me this movie, I would say you're like, no, no, obviously it's directed by a different person. Yeah, this is like direct to video feel. Yeah. yeah, like direct to TV almost, it feels like in some cases where it's just static shots, not interesting. Maybe he just wasn't interested in it and he owed MGM a favor, right? That's what well, it if feels you look like. At his last few films, like all of them are like Rated Garbage. under five, <laughs> like yeah. on IMDb. So I think he must have checked out at some point. I was like, I'll just take a check and to, after ride Patton. this out. Yeah. yeah. Got his Oscar and he's like, fuck it. I, we don't know him personally, but. Uh, no. Well, I do we actually. Do... I'm very good friends with Schaffner. <laughs> this thing was with uh, a lot of these movie artists, with the exception, of course, of a few weird anomalies, that bell curve, right? And mm-hmm. they hit that peak. And when they fall off that cliff, it's embarrassing the kind of garbage they put out. I mean, what are you going to do, right? They're professional art creators and they're not going to give that up to start, I don't know, owning a bookstore or becoming a fisherman. Like they want to keep making films. Now, Franklin Schaffner, you should have stopped because uh, this is embarrassing for all of us. I'm embarrassed that we have to admit that we watched it. I know, it is embarrassing. I want to talk about some individual scenes and some other stuff, but let's go through some of this background information on the movie just to get through it. And then we can we can rag on this movie maybe a little bit more. This film opened up on September 24th, 1982. It is currently rated 3.9 on IMDb. Just to put that in perspective, Dave, but this is why I always tell you, like, any piece of shit on IMDb is usually rated like a 6. Like, movies you have a loathe, or like, 6 is like, ooh, oof, this is a bad movie, according to IMDb. The fact that this is 3.9 tells you everything you need to know about it. Not available on Metacritic, on Rotten Tomatoes, from six critics, this is rated 33%, and from 100 plus users, 38%. Not many people have watched this, and it's so low from the people who have have seen it. (laughs) 
Seems high. If you can believe it, there is a DVD release of this movie. So you can go and buy this on DVD if you want to buy a $20 coaster. And you, uh, but you uh, can buy or rent this on iTunes or YouTube. And in Canada, at least, there is no available streaming option. Its budget has a bit of a disagreement. So anywhere between $15 million and $19 million was the budget. Oh my God. What was the budget for losing ground? Like a hundred and twenty-five thousand or something like that. Uh, yeah. By the way, just having watched these in like back-to-back weeks, I should give an extra star to losing ground just on yes merit. <laughs> it's crazy. This was a certifiable bomb at the box office. Like it tanked. So from either that fifteen or nineteen million dollar budget, it only made two point three, or adjusted for inflation, is six point six million dollars. Like. This made no money. Uh, no one went to see this movie. That means, so this, because it opened up on September 24th, that weekend did not even crack the top 20 of releases, Dave. Um, this is a kind of a new segment I'm doing, by the way. Just what, where did it fall on opening weekend? New, it was a new release, doesn't even crack the top 20. In comparison, number five was Fast Times at Ridgemont Hall in its seventh week high, of release. High, Ridgemont High, Ridgemont High. Oh my God, I said Hall. Fast Times at Ridgemont High was in its seventh week. Number four was this movie called Tempest in its seventh week, but it was opening Sh- wide. Shakespeare, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's an adaptation, but like set in modern day. Like I look it up because I've never heard of this movie in my life. Didn't it sound like I read books? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I caught that one. Good. Number three was An Officer and a Gentleman in its ninth week Ooh. of release. I wonder if we'll Number watch two that. was E.T. in its 16th week of release. We should do push-ups uh, then, in the rain for that episode. Right. <laughs> it's just interesting to see all these movies that are in like their 7th, 8th, ninth, 16th week and still like very doing very, very well. And then yeah. opening this weekend at the number one position was Amityville 2, The Possession at Gross. $4.1 million. So Amityville 2, The Possession made more money in its opening weekend than yes giorgio did in its entire run oh man well for good reason its plot description is a famous opera singer giorgio fini loses his voice during an american tour he goes to a female throat specialist pamela taylor whom he falls in love with uh, by the way what drives me the most nuts um it makes me retroactively hate this movie even more is the fact that it opens up with like this screen that says this story is dedicated to lovers everywhere yeah I mean, I don't remember that, but if they said that, it's awful. Well, lovers watching this movie and be like, oh, this is so romantic. Apparently not many opened up. You know, I'm surprised mm. that anyone saw this in general. Two million bucks still equates to however many humans that decided this would be a good idea. At least one and a half million people went to see this, this movie. I crazy. would say a bare minimum. You should be ashamed of yourselves. There should have been zero dollars. <laughs> Dave, this is, of course, my favorite time of the episode where I get to become Jigsaw and you get to become my unwitting victim who has to what? play a game and that what? game is guessing what the tagline to this movie oh, was okay. all right so you have three options one of course is the real actual tagline that shows up on the poster to this movie and the other two the are complete fiction things that i have made up in my own mind is the tagline to this movie yes giorgio is it a glorious uproarious love story <laughs> is it is it a love story of operatic proportions or is it this tenor is about to sing about love. No, it's definitely not that. I think uh, A. The, the, the glorious, uproarious love story? Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. You are correct, sir. Um, <laughs> I just I'm, think I'm of the most upset. offensive. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't start winning this game, Dave. You crashed and burned so epically on the first one. What, the first one? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> as much as I don't like to admit it, I watch a lot of movies. A glorious, uproarious love story. What a what what a crock. So it stars Luciano Pavarotti as Giorgio Fini, Catherine Harold as Pamela Taylor, and Eddie Albert as Henry Pollock. Dave, is there anything you want to say about those actors? No, not really. I didn't do much research because I just didn't want to think about this. I mean, we watched this in our in outside the fiction. We watched it several days ago, and I, honestly, I've been talking about it a lot. That's how much I hate it. I mm-hmm. I can't. I'm gonna open this so, right now. Dave, and I just this don't is want this is my thing. I always come back to and why I got so frustrated with you giving so many movies like one stars in 1971 uh-huh. Uh-huh. is a one star or half a star is really movies that are like I hate this so much and let me tell you why I hate this so much right things that are like forgettable 
are not one stars in my opinion. <laughs> like it's mm. like there's some I'm gonna forget about this tomorrow. Regardless, Catherine Harold, the only other thing she's in a Schwarzenegger movie. And I can't but like, uh, in, really? in the late eighties. Like she's Raw in, Deal or Raw something. Oh, raw one deal. Never, yes. Yeah, Raw Deal. That's the one uh he's Russian in that one, right? Well, he's rushing through the whole entire movie, actually, Dave, as he's like jumping over <laughs> things and shooting guns. But wow, it's not wow. the Running Man. Yeah, wow, running Eddie man. Albert is a well-known little character actor. He was Comedian, nominated for yeah. an Oscar for the Heartbreak Kid. But uh, yeah. I know that. But I, for me, when we first got satellite television when I was seventeen years old, I loved the channel that played old sitcoms on it i would watch it like all day long in the summer i just watch every old show so i know him as being the uh, guy from green acres <laughs> that's that's what he's known for what the hell's green acres green acres with him and Zsa, Zsa gabor where he was the rich man and she was like they were both rich people they had to move to the country and run a farm and it was hilarious yeah. because they were rich people trying to run a farm it's, that's not even cable that it has to be albertan tv content no it's There's not no, like green acres oh. is a very well-known sitcom dave to watch something on a farm way better than petticoat junction let me tell you that the fuck is petticoat junction come oh on dave God. don't do this to me <laughs> <laughs> you're older than i am how, how do yeah. you not know this stuff? i have self-respect apparently <laughs> holy shit all right let's move i've on. never heard of the beverly hillbillies i've seen the memes what? Right. There's a music video. Is it Weezer? Yeah, that's Eddie Albert. So, cinematography okay. was by Fred J. Kenkamp, or Cohen Camp. The three top ones you'd know from him probably are The Towering Inferno, Patton, and The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. So, he was the cinematographer Buck for this movie. This was written by Norman Steinberg, based on the novel by Anne Piper, and directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. So, as Dave kind of alluded to here earlier on, the president of MGM in 1982 was this man by the name of David Begelman. His wife, Gladys, was this huge opera fan. So, it was her that suggested to him that they make a movie starring the greatest opera star of the time, Luciano Pavarotti. So, it was really her coming to him like, we should make a movie with him. More like, you're going to make this movie. And then they decided to not write a script, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Pavarotti said yes to the project because he had been influenced by Mariel Lanza, this other opera singer who had made a movie called The Great Caruso back in 1951. In fact, that was the original idea that they were going to remake The Great Caruso, but MGM was nervous about making an opera film just in general, especially a period piece, so it was changed to adapt this book from Ann Piper. Uh, I kind of want to check out this movie, by the way. The Great Cruiser, just to see yeah, if, it's, I'm looking if it's any good. The best opera film starred Bugs Bunny. When I say they adapted this book, I mean they adapted this book. Because while I couldn't find out much information about Ann Piper, the novel, Yes, Giorgio, is still in print. So you can go and buy it for seven bucks on Amazon right now. Uh, but it is very, very different to what this movie is. Uh, let me. I'm just going to read you how it's described on Amazon. Okay. Rose Williams was not only married, Welsh, 30, and sensible, she was also in America on a scholarship to study Americans and their way of life. But it was Giorgio, an Italian professor of international law, who claimed her attention and whisked her away in his blue convertible on a motel trip across the states. As we follow this strangely incongruous pair, quarreling, coming together, traveling uneasily along electrically charged parallel lines, a wonderfully real and delightfully comic picture emerges of infidelity and the strange workings of love and conventions. With a sure touch and never a trace of sentimentality, Ann Piper makes this story of an adulterous affair both biting and tender. Hmm. That is not this movie. No. <laughs> like, at no. all. That's a movie that uh, American critics would actually like. Well, true enough, but I... I don't know, even for me, it's like, that sounds much more interesting yes, than absolutely. what we have. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't want to get it, like, so twisted around as being like, oh, I, I, I immediately reject this because there's an adulterous affair going on. Like, no, no you can make something interesting and, and yes. compelling about that story. But then don't make it be like, oh, these star-crossed lovers when that's never shown or communicated within this movie. Yeah, the, the problem is not adultery. The problem is nobody in this film is likable. And there, there isn't a single character that's fleshed out or thought. It's just, uh, or uh, yeah, or thought of, really. Well, so this goes back, I think, to the Kathleen Collins um, thing from last week, right? Of her talking about the problem 
with writing characters who are just metaphors for something else. Because I think intellectually we can see, yes, these two people from two different worlds falling in love, and that will be this cool love story because she helps him and he helps her somehow. No, but she, that's not but, even but, in there. Not but, even that. Apologist. I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying that I think in general that is what this movie is trying to communicate. Um, the trouble with this is that the female doctor never feels like a real person in this movie, not even once. Like her decisions don't make any sense from scene to scene. The the opera star never gets a chance to really be shown why he's falling in love with her in the first place. Like none of it again, none of it really feels natural to me. My pushback on that is simply that I don't think there's even that overarching thought on it. I think, you know, finishing this piece of shit, I think that this uh, wife, what's her name, basically told her husband that I want a movie where I can watch Luciano Pavarotti sing for me. And what this is, is uh, whatever it turns out to be, seven or eight of his most famous, is it still an aria when a man does it? I don't know if there's a different term, but know. six or seven of his most seven or eight, whatever, uh, his most famous solo singing pieces. And then they've tried to find a way to stitch a narrative between them because the piece that he sings, they don't even make sense in the context of the film. It's that just- was my, That was going to be yeah. my final point that even the songs as they're placed in don't make sense of him being singing those songs at that time. I honestly think maybe they got into a fight and this was his uh, way of making it up with his wife, but she probably was sitting beside the director- watching Pavarotti sing all of these pieces and like loving her life. That's what this is. I mean, it should never even been released to the public. I think even think it works on that level then, Dave, because sure, he sings six or seven of those, but this is still like an hour and 40 minute long movie. And she's that not, takes she's up not maybe a part of that 12 part, minutes. Right? Yeah, yeah, she's not part of that. I mean, should this have just been a private concert? Probably, right? This That's mm. what this should have been. It should have been just, you know, a bunch of uh, over rich studio execs sitting in front of a stage and paying Pavarotti to come and hang out with them. Uh, but they filmed it and probably, I mean, if I uh, just being extra cynical, they gave that footage. They asked Schaffner to record the concert parts. And after they were like, you know what? Can you make a movie with this? Uh, <laughs> Can you make a movie out of yeah. this? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. So initially it was supposed to be Sigourney Weaver, who was supposed to be the main love interest in this movie. Right. Dodged a bullet on that one. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Maybe she actually finally read the script when they sent it to her and she was like, no. What? I'm when is Gorillas in, in the Mist? Is it the year after? Yeah, yeah, late 80s. But she would have done... Alien. Yeah, she would have done Alien by now. Yeah. The production by itself, from all accounts, went well. Although, I would say this. I, I am probably reading maybe more subtext into this than is needed. But if you read the quotes from some of the producers about the making of this movie, they sound very much like, we know Pavarotti is not a good actor, and but we can't say that out loud. <laughs> like, they talk around him, and like, anyways, it's weird. But you can see it in the film. Just the way his character is. It, it's just him. I mean, this is the problem. I don't like Pavarotti anymore. <laughs> because I don't <laughs> oh, think no. he's acting this character. This is him. And it's probably uh, why well. he's so unlikable. Because... It's a man, This the problem I think with any celebrity is once you get into a stage where nobody can tell you you're doing anything wrong, you become this person. There's no character development for him. He doesn't learn anything. He's just a dick the whole film. Right. I agree with him not learning anything. Although, I, I don't know. I feel uncomfortable casting aspersions to somebody I've never met in my life. So, oh, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. No, that's just me. But uh, fuck him. <laughs> the scene of the concert that he performs in Boston was was real that was an actual concert that Pavarotti was actually putting on in Boston a huge crowd which was like such a shock to see in in COVID times like oh my god which by the way just as a quick little side note I always when I always see those like helicopter shots with like what seemingly mm -hmm. is 20,000 people crammed into this like short or small area I'm like god the bathrooms must be awful at that place oh like, yeah it's just well, be the worst Woodstock for sure and there's other ones where yeah people were it, it was bad there were bad things happening in the uh, on the site. It wasn't just people rolling out and having a great time having sex. It was poo. <laughs> Apparently, was poo. that whole shot lasted like ten days, and over those what? ten days, one hundred ten thousand people came to watch Pavarotti perform, and it was a free concert. People could just show up and watch him, which is how they crammed so many people into uh, into that building space. Building up my theory, I don't think this was meant to be a movie. At the time of the filming, Pavarotti was interviewed, and he said, "I am enjoying the movie." Are there any surprises? No surprises. Except being awakened at 5 a.m. For a man who usually gets out of bed at 10 or 12, that is a surprise. Will I do another film? I'll tell you after I see this one. Well, and it bombed at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> 
he actually did watch it. He was like, oh, no, never again. <laughs> um, it bombed at the box office. Someone from MGM was quoted as saying, okay, so you make a picture with Pavarotti and 10 people and their aunts go and see it and it dies. But for $15 million, don't think there aren't a lot of unhappy faces at MGM about that. It's a lot of money. Its performance would actually cancel another film. Uh, they were going to make a movie called The Merry Widow, which was an adaptation of an operetta, a pretty well-known operetta, which would have starred Placido Domingo and Julie Andrews. But it uh, was canceled after the unsuccessful run of that this movie. That might have worked, because at least Julie Andrews can sing. She can but, sing and she can uh, act, so maybe that would have helped it out. Fucking hell. Thanks a lot, Pavarotti. Actually, no, it's not Pavarotti's fault. No. Thanks a lot, uh, what's this woman's name? Thanks a lot, Gladys Begelman. <laughs> Fucking idiot. If that is your real name. That... Okay, what else do you want to talk about here, Dave? I only have a couple last things here, but did you want to delve uh, into no. the, uh, racism? the racism? I know that's always my favorite topic. Well, it's not much to talk about. This movie is, you know, it's misogynistic, it's racist, it's elitist. It literally plays into every trope. It's not even about woke culture. It's just, it's such an awful experience to see that the so-called protagonist good guy is this, you know, ego-swollen prima donna everything he just he's literally carried around he complains that he's not physically carried around like some diva that he references before where she wasn't allowed to have her feet touch the ground mm -hmm. that's why he's not as big of a success i'm surprised they didn't have people feeding his fucking face the whole film and then uh, he coerces this woman to fall over the because he's wealthy and he's aggressive like there, how many times does he grab her it's fucking weird man she's allegedly a doctor Right? Mm -hmm. So supposedly an intellectual, supposedly someone free thinking and self-driven. And she's wooed uh, because the fucker can sing. And then she goes on this tryst for no reason, right? Drops her responsibilities in a child throat fucking ward. I mean, these kids are going to die. I, th I think that's the, the biggest, that's the biggest thing for me is just, I guess, basic screenwriting things. If you're going to do the star cross, not star cross, if you're going to do like opposites attract love story for me you can't make this work dramatically if it's like oh i guess i'm just going to change my mind and then jump on a plane like there's nothing that actually yeah. makes her go from one state to the next like it's so frustrating awful frustrating irritating offensive right the racism it's just part of his character you know he's constantly talking about how everybody does everything for him because he's so talented and that's not even the crux of his learn. It's like, if you're going to set that up and then he's humbled in some way, it's still inexcusable to have that scene with the Chinese yeah. couple that have to do everything for him. But, you know, if at the end he's like, oh, I'm an asshole. But you, but you would know better than me here, Dave. Like, are they actually speaking Chinese in that? Oh, I don't know. Probably. Okay. I mean, it's hard to tell in film. I mean, I'm trying to remember if, I mean, James Hong, he, I mean, he's can't, He's from Hong Kong. He, he speaks Cantonese, yeah. of course, but often in earlier American films, you know, if they didn't cast another Chinese actor, it's kind of weird. I don't, I'm not an authority on Cantonese okay. as many Hong Kong films as I've grown up on. But to be honest, I was so irritated in that scene. I wasn't really paying attention to what they, what they were saying. All I knew was that he would... Pavarotti would ring a bell, they would bend over backwards for him, and then the scene's over. It's like... Why is this here? I don't know. Why is this here? Why is it important to show subservient Asian people in this mansion? Presumably they're rich, and then they're miserable, mm -hmm. they're being uh, subjected to this torture, and then they just like, all right, next scene, mm -hmm. you know? He continues to be an asshole, everybody loves him, and you just... I, I don't know. Maybe that's the I subtext just... of maybe they quit, so that that's why he does his cooking later on in the scene, and they have that food fight, which is... High hilarity. Is that still the same house? I don't know. Who I thought cares? that was a different house. I don't know. No, I, I think that's a different house. I think that's the next. I think that's the next parasitic relationship that he's in. That food fight is fucking awful. It's bad and so aggressive, like like threatening her into a closet yeah. because his ego's offended. What the fuck was that, man? Oh, yeah, th that was the point. It's like, is this going to turn into something even worse here at a moment? Like, I honestly, yeah. thought that it was going to go even worse than what it's we just, thought. Uh, Ugh. there's no redeemable quality in it. like i said it was the fact that this movie's bad enough that i was scrubbing even through the singing tells you everything you need to know because the singing is actually good uh, to mm. my conspiracy theory this film i think is shot as a private concert so the singing portions are actual operatic mm -hmm. productions you brought i mean they're yeah. on a stage they have actual props he's got makeup on a stage there's another one that's at the actual met so like that's right yeah there's real places that they're i mean doing this at is it any wonder it costs 15 million bucks to make this piece of shit? And so uh, those scenes should be redeeming. 
right? Because he is actually one of the most talented singers of his era, mm-hmm. maybe of all time, who knows? But by the end, I didn't even want to watch him sing. I was just so exhausted. And the only reason I didn't turn off Kyle is because he gave me such a hard time about Million Dollar Duck. I thought, you know what? I just get to the end. And now I regret it. I should have just turned I this I still say off Million Dollar Duck is the worst movie we've had to watch for this series so far. That's me, no, but... I, let me... I was going to argue with this, but because uh, I knew you would bring that up. But here's here's the only difference for me is that Million Dollar Duck, I don't even think was trying to be a movie. <laughs> I think it was... Honestly, True. it feels like... Yeah. It kind of feels like a, a TV show that they couldn't get pitched like a pilot. Mm-hmm. So, they stretched out to like 65 minutes and then put it out as a film. This thing tried to be a movie somehow and it failed, it failed. at every level. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think this is much worse. I'm more rueful that I sat through this piece of crap than anything we've watched well, so Well, technically, far. you didn't sit through the entirety of Million Dollar Duck, so you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's a fair, a fair retort. Even the ending, like, what's the point? Well, what is I the know, point like, he's singing, of the walkout? Again, the, he's singing Ness and Dorma at the very end. Beautiful song. And then she just says, well, we can't ever be together, so she leaves, and that's supposed to be dramatic and sad. And I was like, just walk quicker so the credits can come up. <laughs> where, where's the Chinese censor where we could just black screen, put up some text? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, nobody gives a shit, go home. The, the, the police, police came and arrested everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, honestly, I would have given this a full extra star if we had faded to black and a message came out. The police came and arrested everyone for that had made this movie. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Standing ovation. Standing. Bravo. <laughs> bravo. Bravo. What's the record for Pavarotti? Like 17, uh, 17 encore. Yeah, uh, something like that. Uh, yeah, I would have given it that. We're done here. Okay, so the machine has said that we do have to wrap this up, which means we are moving into to our segment called Critics' Choice. This is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time this movie was released. Roger Ebert, like I said, did go and see this movie. This is what he wrote in part. He says, I would give anything to be able to ask Norman Steinberg, the author of the screenplay, exactly what was going through his mind when he wrote the following dialogue. Feeny, you are a thirsty plant. Feeny can water you. <laughs> Pamela says, I don't want to be watered on. I don't, I don't want to be watered on by. Feeney says, then let me water you. That's some actual dialogue that happens in this movie. It's like, that's like straight out of a shit softcore porn. Yeah. It's just like the worst what? thing I've no ever. One, this is, these are not people. There's a famous story about the studio verdict on Fred Astaire's screen test. Can't sing, can dance a little. When Pavarotti sings in this film, he is superb. But when he acts, he needs to be watered on. That's what. Wow. Pauline Kale did not go and see this movie. So instead, I got Bob Thomas of the Associated Press. He says, AP, baby. Those yeah. who appreciate sentiment, gorgeous photography, and full throated singing will have a treat. Do you like this movie? What the <laughs> fuck? I thought this was leading up when I was reading this. I thought it was leading up to like, if I like these things, like you're going to be like sorely disappointed. I'm like, wait, what? I had to like do my double take. I was like, Whoa, what? <laughs> what did you just say? Oh my God. What? <laughs> a treat? A treat, right. Dave. A treat. Okay. My brain got, my brain's having a seizure. Mm. It's bringing on my epilepsy. I have no idea how someone could put that in print. He must, he must be so rueful. Put, I don't know if he's still alive. He put but. this in print with his name beside it, Dave. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> Unless it was a prank by his uh, co- right. competitor. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to make sure my nemesis is forever <laughs> shamed by this fake review. All right. Dave, does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? No, it should be burned. It should be burned. This should never have existed in the first place. Even if they crop out all of the dialogue and left it just as a singing, I just wouldn't even watch this. It's awful. It should just die. Yeah. It should just die. I just, this, this now has so many negative connotations to me that I, I was kind of interested in reading the source material once I read that plot synopsis, but I was like, I can't. I cannot devote any more of my life. To talk about, yes, no. Giorgio. Um, I'm a no-no. This doesn't hold up. I'm Again, I'm confident we are the only two people that have watched this movie in the last 40 years. <laughs> no one has watched this movie. Uh, it's bad. Oh it's so bad. God. Now. I can't believe we have to pay money for this. Ugh. There is one thing that it was, it was, this was nominated for an award, Dave. And yes, there was Razzies for Luciano Pavarotti's like acting and, and the movie itself. But this was nominated for an Oscar. Do you know what for? <laughs> I, I have no... I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, you do. Is John Williams? It is for John Williams. And it's for the original song, If We Were In Love. So, (laughs) one second here. Please don't do this. Oh, fuck you, We're going to listen to a little bit of this uh, here song, Dave. Um, (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to. 
Now this, you have to imagine. I don't want to hear it. You have to imagine. Can you hear it, by the way? Yeah, okay, I can hear it. You have to imagine. I'm having PTSD now. We're in this hot air balloon with our love. PTSD. No. No. And we're singing to our loves. Are you allowed? Is saying hot air balloon while we look at this picture of Pavarotti, is that, is that fat shaming or? Well, the unfortunate thing is that people will never see the picture that I've put onto this little slide here that I have just concocted. Oh my god. Now, I will say this. You're... I don't hate the melody. I think the melody is actually pretty decent. Like, well, it's John Williams. Yeah, like, sure. it, yeah. but, he can write music. Um, and even the lyrics are not super... Like, they're not bad, I wouldn't say. They're not great either, but I wouldn't say that they're bad. My issue is that, again, this is the difference between opera and musical theater. This is a musical theater song that we have plunked into the middle yeah. of this movie. This is a song from someone who is in love with somebody, but can't actually say that he's in love with somebody. And always using the phrase, like, if we were in love, this is what we would do. And if we were in love, this is what would be going on. But he sings it the same way as you would an opera aria, which is like, I'm just singing the notes yeah. as, they're, as they're written, without putting that inflection behind almost. it. almost. Yeah. And you actually see that, too. I forget what song it is, where he's... Um, he sings that little standard in like the little jazz bar. I would look at you. Yeah, where it's like, oh, like you're again, you're singing the notes, but you're not actually singing the meaning behind those notes. But this is the song. If we were in love, nominated for an Academy Award for best original song, uh, it did lose. Do you know what it lost to, Dave? I can't even hear anything. All I hear is this. Uh, can you turn off? Can you turn this shit off? I... <laughs> all right, all right, right. What? No, I don't know. Uh, what did it lose to? Oh my God, the song from an officer and a gentleman. Up Where We Belong? Is that where it is? Yeah, I think it is. Loveless is Up Where We Belong? Is that the one that he's, he carries her in through? That one? Okay, yeah, yeah. Now, as a quick little aside, I won't spend too much time with this. And we're at an hour 13. I mean, yeah, but we, you're we the one stretching this We blab for 10 minutes that's going to be cut. This is going to be like over, like an hour two minutes at most. The songwriting team uh, behind this, of course, is John Williams who did the music for it. But the lyrics were Alan and Marilyn Bergman who have had a long storied career. They actually started writing music for like Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra is who they wrote music for. And then moved into film and television, worked with this um, uh, French director for a while. They wrote some of the lyrics to the song In the Heat of the Night, which plays in that movie that mm. Quincy Jones wrote the music for. And apparently too, also in 1982, I don't know what this actually is, but they wrote Michael Jackson's soundtrack album for E.T. the Extraterrestrial. I don't know what that is. Mm. I have no idea what that means, mm. but apparently they helped okay. write some of Michael Jackson's music for that album. The probably the most famous one, and I say famous knowing that this is probably a niche of a niche. If you're a Barbara Streisand fan, they wrote The Way We Were um, from the, that same movie. So that's the song that they're probably most <laughs> known for. Here's the wild thing. Alan Bergman, born September 11th, 1925. Marilyn Keith Bergman, Born November 10th, 1928. Alan is still alive. <laughs> so he'll be celebrating, celebrating yeah. his 97th birthday. Marilyn passed away a week and a half ago. Oh, wow. She passed away on January 8th of 2022. Uh, wow. So um, I guess when you're listening to this, a month long. ago is when you is when she, uh, she yeah. passed away. But Whether they were happy to be alive that long, that's a whole other debate for a different type of podcast. To, to wash that away. Dave. Uh, I had so much fun. I had so much fun this morning. <laughs> can we get to can we get to the next don't do this. Don't, please. Please don't. Please don't press play. We play this. We do need to rate this film eventually, Dave. But before we do, you know, 0 0.5. That's what yeah. Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release two videos each week on our YouTube channel that matches the movie we're talking about that week. On Mondays, we react to the trailer, and then on Fridays, it's a mini-review of that film. This is making it seem like this is a good movie by putting on a good music. Fuck. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. And so we should probably get to the rating of this movie. Dave, I'm guessing it's a, what, a zero, a 0.5? What are you giving this? Uh, yeah, 0.5. 
Sorry, you put on Nessendorma, which makes it seem like this movie's worth watching. So, uh, you are you're a cruel human being. If I could give it a zero, yeah. you said we're not allowed to, but do not, please, acknowledge that this movie exists. This movie Anyone should not exist. This? It's a bad movie. I'm giving it a one only because of this performance of Nessendorma, because I like it a lot. But that doesn't oh, mean it's going on. to... Average out to 0.5 in our official ratings and going to be the worst movie we have watched in 1982. I'm going to guess probably for the whole season, but we'll we'll see. We'll see if I'm right on that. (laughs) Please, please, yeah. I could have been the fourth tenor. Well, let's see what we're going to be watching here next week, Dave. I'm going to push this button. Oh, well, we get to see a Werner Herzog film for the first time. We're going to go and watch (laughs) Fitzcarraldo. Um, which is actually mm. also about opera, interestingly enough. So hopefully mm. <laughs> it's better than than this. Well, it's Werner Herzog, so it'll be depressing. You do have to do it in a Werner Herzog voice the entire episode. You do have to do that. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I can't even do it well, and I wish I could. I can't but... even. I'm trying to think of like gravelly, depressed German. He's funny, though. <laughs> I can't. He can be funny. All right, Dave, I have to, oh, I have to shake this off. Um, uh, let's just play some... Some Pac-Man and... It's hard with the joystick. Dave, you do know how to push my buttons, so this will be a good... Oh, God. Okay, I'm just... I'm pressing stop. The best opera film starred Bugs Bunny.